Opera in the Ozarks presents its 72nd summer season now through July 21st with 22 performances at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs, plus special events in Fayetteville and beyond. Featuring 40 premier vocalists from across the nation, this year's operas include Elixir of Love, The Tender Land, and Orpheus in the Underworld. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, July 6th, 2023. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is 91.3 FM KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later on today's show, a sound perimeter from Leo Uribe from Mexico with Love. That's in today's second half hour. First up, a University of Arkansas biologist teamed up with the Little Rock Zoo, Arkansas Game and Fish, and others to captively breed 43 eastern collared lizards over the past year. The homegrown reptiles received new homes earlier this month, and Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis sat down with the head lizard researcher, Casey Brewster, to learn more about this unique partnership and the creature it supports. If you were to spot an eastern collared lizard while hiking through the Ozarks, you might think it scurried up here from Mexico's Chihuahuan Desert. The creatures are an exotic sight, a snapshot of the Southwest. Their vibrant aquamarine bodies and long tails can grow to be over a foot long, making them the biggest lizard native to Arkansas. Many locals call the hefty reptiles mountain boomers, a name perfectly suited for their bold presence. The seemingly out-of-place mountain boomers piqued the interest of conservation genetics researcher Casey Brewster. He says, although they can seem larger than life, collared lizards maintain a fragile existence in the state due to an intrinsic connection to one of the region's most delicate ecosystems. For more than five years, he, along with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, the Forest Service, the Nature Conservancy, and the Arkansas Natural Heritage Commission, have worked together to restore the ecosystems that eastern collared lizards call home. So originally, I uh, so I I did my PhD on the eastern collared lizard. I mainly, really, what I did was I was interested in understanding the mechanisms that cause populations to decline in at-risk species. And the eastern collared lizard in Arkansas ended up being a really good model system for a handful of reasons. One, you know, we the populations are clearly declining. There, they've declined substantially in just the last, you know, 20, 30 years, but also because I knew where some populations were and they're pretty discrete colonies. They'll, they'll live in sort of a specific area. And so you can go back repeatedly and kind of have some consistency on, on trying to ask and approach questions with them. So I was interested in understanding what was causing their population declines and specifically more mechanistic um, really looking at details. We knew that a lot of it had to do with habitat loss. They're very specific on their habitats that they live in. Um, in this part of the country, they live in, you know, in Zurich, limestone prairies, outcrops, and in general, what we call glades. Uh, some folks call them cedar glades, but these would be open, rockier habitats, um, very little uh, canopy cover, um, primarily a lot of grasses primarily are dominant there, but not a lot of uh, woody vegetation. While an abundance of tree cover is not unusual today, historically the Arkansas hills housed several distinct landscapes. Savannas, open flats, and glades split the woodland canopy, fostering biodiversity among the flora and fauna below. However, agriculturally motivated fire suppression allowed the woody cover to take over. If it weren't for researchers like Brewster, specialized Ozarkan environments like glades might have disappeared entirely, erasing species essential to the food chain, like the eastern collared lizard. As it turns out, how ecosystems work, how that, that area of natural habitat works, is all of those organisms in that community have an important role. Some, you know, you could argue have a more important role than others, but they still have a really important role. And a lot of times, if you remove a predator from that community, that is going to have one of the most drastic effects on the rest of the community. And so that's essentially sort of a smaller scale because glades aren't massive, uh, you know, uh, areas, but still, you know, that that's sort of the same effect that you have is that predator being lost. Does that reduce proximity make the lizard's presence even more important? Yes, I would say that that, that absolutely does. So, you know, one thing, you know, that we, that we run into is... Uh, whenever we're, you know, looking at restoring a glade habitat, you can do, you can do everything. You can do the prescribed fire. You can remove the cedar trees, remove the invasive species. You can do some reseeding. You can do a lot of great stuff. 
But if you go out there and measure the diversity of the plants, arthropods, and other organisms that would usually be part of the community without the collared lizards, you're pretty much almost never going to get that diversity that you once had. Collared lizards aren't the only species that call glades home. Wild turkey and black bear, along with various insects, birds, and other reptiles, all rely on the specialized environment limestone glades provide. Various environmental organizations across the state are also invested in the future of Ozark and glades. Brewster says he was able to capitalize on that joint interest and assemble a dynamic group of conservationists, creating the Eastern Collared Lizard Conservation Team. Brewster helms the team, which includes representatives from the Little Rock Zoo, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, University of Arkansas, University of Central Arkansas, and the Arkansas Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit. Over the past year, the team focused on captively breeding lizards at the Little Rock Zoo. Zoo director Susan Altrui says the commitment of the researchers helped zookeepers breed over 40 eastern collared lizards ready for introduction back into their natural habitats. Well, one of the key ingredients in a successful breeding program is that long-term commitment. It's doing the research on the back end. It's finding where there's a problem. It's understanding what it takes to solve that problem and then figuring out who are the key individuals, individual organizations you need to solve that problem. Um, So a lot of the partner organizations that approached us had already done a lot of that work. And so when we were approached, we were approached as being a partner to help to solve a problem. Um, And so for us, uh, where we come in is to be that solution to the problem, to help to be that breeding organization that can provide individuals that can then be released out into the wild. And you see this happening with uh, a lot of accredited zoos across the country. Accredited zoos are very good at um, species survival plan programs where we are breeding individuals successfully for the long-term survival of those species. And so we've been approached by organizations um, such as game and fish organizations in states across the country, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, which is the national organization, uh, to partner with them on species reintroduction programs because of our success in captive breeding. Um, There's a lot of other um, uh, success that you can look to for these types of programs. The California condor is one example of that. Um, There wouldn't be a California condor anymore if it wasn't for the success of a lot of the zoos that are on the West Coast who uh, saw a problem and were able to successfully breed in captivity the California condor and then re-release it back into the wild. Much like the California condor, humans can unintentionally disrupt collared lizards' habitat, hindering the conservation team's efforts. To avoid trouble, Brewster keeps the new crop's whereabouts under tight wraps. However, he says that while their locations are top secret for now, His ultimate goal is to reintroduce populations to state parks like Mount Magazine so the public may enjoy mountain boomers under the supervision of park rangers. Brewster says Arkansans can still be involved in the species' immediate conservation. He says landowners across the region who think their property could be suitable collared lizard habitat can rehabilitate their property, and anyone lucky enough to see a lizard in the wild can help by taking a picture with their smartphone. If you are out, you're somebody that goes out on forest service or on, on, on public land areas and you identify a collared lizard using the iNaturalist app on your uh, smartphone, um, kind of takes you through it. Anybody that's used that would know. But that, that data can be really useful. That can help us. If you want to, you know, donate or, or uh, help fund the project, you know, there's absolutely tons of need for that. We're on a shoestring budget. And then also if you're a landowner that feels like your land may actually, you know, fall within a glade that, that maybe needs some, some, you know, nothing too crazy in terms of habitat restoration, you know, there's always possibilities with the private burn association that's out there in Arkansas and, and the Game of Fish private lands biologist and, you know, us trying to get grants or, you know, there are, there's, there's a few individuals out there that have done all this on their own with their own, uh, you know, hard-earned money and, and running chainsaw and doing the work themselves. For now, curious nature enthusiasts may visit two captive collared lizards at the Little Rock Zoo. Altrui says the zoo also has a replica glade habitat at the Conservation Learning Center so patrons can experience glade's beauty without harming the fragile ecosystems. For the rest of the summer, Brewster says he'll be cruising through the hills with his dog to check on the lizards and apply his findings to research in his lab. Though temperatures are rising, he says that's just what the lizards want, and if they're out, he's out. It's a long process, but the conservation team is committed to the future of the eastern collared lizards and the state. 
For Ozarks at Large, this is Jack Travis out of the Bruce and Ann Applegate Studio 2. And don't forget that any story you hear on Ozarks at Large can be sent to somebody you think would want to hear it. Just go to OzarksAtLarge.com and you'll find links to each interview or piece on our show that allow you to quickly share them through email or social media. It's one of the free services we can provide to everybody because of the support of listeners like you. Our June fundraising was just over $51,500, meaning we hit that $50,000 goal in honor of KUAF being on the air for 50 years. Thank you for your continued support. For a year now, the KUAF Lunch Hour has been bringing you the best in local music and local food once a month here at the KUAF studios. Now we're taking it on the road. KUAF is partnering with local McDonald's owner-operators to bring you the KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. It begins in late July and will include three tiny desk-style concerts that will take place at different McDonald's locations across northwest Arkansas, the River Valley, and the Green Country. These three concerts will lead up to a mini-festival called Lunch All Day in September. Performances are set to include Steph Simon of Fire in Little Africa, country singer Joe West, and artist-designer Tylo May. Get ready for a summer of fun, music, and great food. The KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's, begins July 28th. Keep listening to KUAF, your public radio station, for more details. Later this hour, the power of narrative as a force of good or bad. Narrative is kind of what got Arkansas where it is. It is a narrative that we sell ourselves as a low-wage state when we're out recruiting businesses to come to Arkansas. It is uh, the narrative of the Delta being poor black folk and the narrative of Fayetteville being rich in resources. Uh, you would think that no one poor lives in Fayetteville or Springdale or those areas, right, mm -hmm. because of a narrative. KUAF's Listening Lab hit the road last week for a trip south to Little Rock. In today's second half hour, we'll hear one of the conversations recorded last Friday with Cherise West Scannelberry, the president and CEO of the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation. She discusses last week's Starshine Summit, where our mobile listening lab took up residence for several hours. That's in today's second half hour. It's hard to know how we come across, especially when we meet people for the first time. Most often, people actually enjoy these initial conversations and like the other person quite a bit but they tend to underestimate how much the other person likes them. Why we often have a distorted perception of how others see us, this week on Hidden Brain from NPR. Hidden Brain, Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday morning at 6 on 91.3 KUAF. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas is exiting its fiscal year with a surplus. The 2023 revenue summary shows $1.161 billion left over in tax revenue. The surplus happened largely because of sales tax collections, which grew 8% according to the report. Dr. Jeremy Horpendahl, associate professor of economics at the University of Central Arkansas, says the surplus was bigger than forecast. Not the legislature or the taxpayers really want these surpluses to keep happening, right? That means that we're taxing too high for what they want to spend. So. One, one way to, to get that closer is to uh, get, get tax rates down a little bit so they're more in line with what the legislature wants to spend. Um, and I think, you know, given, you know, the current partisan makeup of the legislature, that's probably more likely. I mean, the other route you could go is, is to increase spending, of course. In previous years, the Arkansas legislature has convened a special session to return some surplus money to taxpayers. Horpendahl says this can present a fairness problem when trying to make sure tax cuts reach lower income people. If you give it back to people through the personal income tax, that means that for lower income people who mostly pay sales taxes, like they're not getting anything back from that, right? So if you if you push it back to people through the personal income tax code, uh, that would mean you wouldn't, um, unless you did one of these, you know, $150 per person kind of thing. He says the surplus is in keeping with economic trends in other states. The state has around $1 billion additional dollars in a catastrophic reserve fund. An algebra teacher in the Springdale School District and an English language arts and social studies teacher in the Fort Smith School District are among the finalists for the Arkansas Teacher of the Year honor. Fourteen regional finalists for the award were announced yesterday by the Arkansas Department of Education. Jasmine Carunza teaches algebra at Southwest Junior High School in Springdale, and Nicole Franklin teaches English language and social studies at Orr Elementary School in Fort Smith. 
Each of the 14 teachers will be honored at a ceremony in Little Rock later this month. The four semifinalists for Arkansas Teacher of the Year will be named at that event, and then the eventual winner announced this autumn. The Benton County Quorum Court voted to pay $30,000 for basic expansion plans for the Benton County Jail. The facility has an inmate capacity of 669 and is frequently overcrowded. Last week, there were 738 inmates in the jail. Justice Joel Edwards of Centerton introduced the ordinance. He says the plan should include conceptual drawings. And so that's the, the whole goal was to make sure that you all understand um, what kind of a capacity facility we could have for what kind of cost. And that'll be the, per, the, the primary goal. Benton County residents voted against temporarily raising sales tax to expand the facility. Money for the plans will come out of the county's capital projects fund. In Washington County, voters this past November also struck down a measure to enlarge the jail to address overcrowding. About a month later, the county's quorum court devoted about $19 million of American Rescue Plan Act funding for the project. The fourth annual Stroll the Atolls, a free Marshallese cultural celebration, will be staged at two events this month. Both are sponsored by the Arkansas Coalition of the Marshallese. The first, taking place at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, is tomorrow from 5 to 9 p.m. The theme, navigation. Visitors will experience how indigenous Marshallese navigated their archipelago using ancient instruments, including star maps, stick charts, ocean tides, and winds. Michelle Pedro, the policy director and communication specialist with the Arkansas Coalition of Marshallese, says tomorrow evening's event explores history. And it's all about how our navigators navigated through the Pacific with their sense of skills. And it's just using our connection through nature, you know, ingrained in them that they had to from memory. There will also be a dance performance at 7 tomorrow evening. The second Stroll the Atoll event, a festival, takes place Friday, July 29th from 10 in the morning to 9 in the evening on the Shiloh Square in Springdale. That's our biggest festival of the year, and it's to highlight um, Pacifica, Oceania, because we're all connected through the ocean, and um, it's to highlight the stories of how we migrate from Pacific to here, to the United States, and the challenges and barriers. It's very intentional, the way that it's set up. She says the intention is to show both the public and policymakers the reasons for Pacific Islander migration to the United States. The U.S. Forest Service is seeking partners to expand services at Lake Weddington Recreation Area. This summer, the Forest Service will host two site visits for potential partners to tour the grounds and buildings. According to a Forest Service document, the agency seeks proposals from individuals, governmental, quasi-governmental agencies, nonprofits or for-profit organizations, and educational institutions. The partnerships, according to the document, could be created through the development of a concession agreement or a historic lease. The first of the two site visits is scheduled for Friday, July 14th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The Arkansas Game and Fish Commission has a new member. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday announced Brandon Adams of Fayetteville as the newest member of the eight-person commission. Speaking at the Witt Stevens Nature Center in downtown Little Rock, Governor Sanders said Adams would seek to protect the state's natural resources in his new role. He cares about our state. He wants to see Arkansas succeed in every area. And he loves the outdoors. And he loves the idea of making sure that every single Arkansan has access to the great resources that we have right here in our backyard. Adams replaces outgoing commission chair Bobby Martin with commissioner Stan Jones taking over as chair. Adams is a property developer, nursing home owner, and owns a number of hunting and fishing lodges throughout Arkansas. And the Northwest Arkansas Naturals continue their home series with the Arkansas Travelers tonight at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale. The Nats won last night 11-7 to claim their third win in their last four games. Tonight's first pitch set for 7.05. Time to move into the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio to talk with Timothy Dennis about live music opportunities. There's plenty to see and hear this weekend. 
Let's start with tomorrow night. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville for their happy hour is having Buddy shooting the motivators back on stage. I saw that on their marquee. Tickets are $8. Starts at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. The Late Show at George's tomorrow night is going to have an artist by the name of John Bauman on stage. He is a country artist. He's been on albums for the likes of Kenny Chesney and Randy Rogers Band. He's also in another band called the Panhandlers, which is a group consisting of him, Josh Abbott, William Clark Green, and others. This is going to be a solo show. In the great 1980s when the boom came to town and all them big old buildings they just shot out of the ground out the midland tickets are twelve dollars in advance go up to fifteen dollars at the door starts at nine o'clock tomorrow night again that's at georgia's in fayetteville also happening tomorrow night but up in bentonville bike rack brewing company is going to have the next city sessions concert in their brew room all right this month they are featuring will gunselman and tiny camper tiny camper if you're unaware is mia jeldum she's just going by oh. new stage name okay all right Tickets are $20, starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night again. That's at Bike Rack Brewing Company in Bentonville. Butterfield Stage and Rogers tomorrow night. They're going to have the Cold Birmingham Band on stage. like to see them twice this weekend they will also be at kingfish in fayetteville saturday night at nine o'clock but that show in rogers tomorrow night gets underway at about eight o'clock moving on over in eureka springs tomorrow night the gravel bar is going to have randall shreve in the house You know, I I just really like Randall Shreve. Yeah. I like I his mean, music. I like him. I mean, he's just a likable guy. Yeah. Of course, he recently released a new album. Yep. Uh, that show at the Gravel Bar tomorrow night gets underway at 7 o'clock. Again, that's in the Springs. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday night. JJ's Live in Fayetteville is going to have the band Night Train International on stage. If you're unfamiliar, they are a Guns N' Roses touring tribute band. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Well, so I heard Night Train, and in the 90s, there was this CD compilation set that came out, and it was great, underrated R&B and soul songs. Hmm. It was Night Train to Memphis. Oh, okay. So I thought maybe that'd be that, but yeah. no. But, you know, Such good on life. you if you... Right, yeah. right. Tickets are $15 in advance. They go up to $20 at the door. It starts at 7.30 Saturday night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in Fayetteville. Also happening Saturday night, Bike Rag Brewing Company for their Patio Music Series is going to welcome Circle of Thirds. Mm-hmm. Great local jazz yep, band. Yep. That starts at 7 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at Bike Rag Brewing Company in Bentonville. Over at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville Saturday night, time for the Forest Concert Series. This week, they have Bonnie Montgomery on stage. Okay. Would have been better off never leaving the But the wild world was calling, so I said that I'd go. She's a great songwriter. Yeah. If you get the chance, I suggest you go. Tickets are $20. Starts at 7 o'clock Saturday night again at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville. That's outside, right? Yes. So chances are in between songs you might hear cicadas? I mean, I would imagine so. Possibly see fireflies. Yeah. I mean, it's that time of year. I I love the sound of cicadas. I'm finding out that there are some people who don't. Huh. I don't. I'm not one of those people. Yeah, I like them. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Thank I have you. no segue Thank for that. Thank you. Well, 
Moving yes. on. Also Saturday night, over in Eureka Springs, the Gravel Bar is going to have one of your favorite local artists, Patty Steele. Ah, oh, she's great. She's awesome. show gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night again at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. So in Eureka Springs Saturday night, Got a Whole Brewing in Eureka Springs is going to have Joe Mack in the house. Joe Mack. He's a great songwriter and musician from Oklahoma. Okay. He's been a part of Roots Fest in the past. Yes, 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 yes. I think he may have even been on our live show yes, for that's an interview. Exactly, yes. Okay. That's exactly why I know that name. That set at God Hole Brewing starts at about 6 o'clock Saturday evening. Again, that is in Eureka Springs. Okay, moving ahead to Sunday. Fayetteville Public Library for the next Mountain Street Stage concert is going to feature Mariah Bailey. She's a local harpist. That starts at 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, and it is free at Fayetteville Public Library. Also happening Sunday evening in Fayetteville, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to have a rock and roll show with mostly local bands. Adventureland, they're an indie rock band from Little Rock, also featuring Ken and Company and Maple Street indie rock bands from Northwest Arkansas. All they want to do is settle down in this town. They must be blind, so he leaves them all behind. Cover is $10, supposed to get underway at about 8 o'clock Sunday night, again at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. Jumping ahead to Tuesday, uh, the Walmart Amp in Rogers is going to have Fallout Boy on stage. I know some people who are huge Fallout Boy fans. I know a few as well. Yeah. Also on that bill are the bands Bring Me the Horizon, Royal and the Serpent, and Car, C-A-R-R. Tickets start at about $50. That starts at 6.30 Tuesday night. Again, that is at the Walmart Amp in Rogers. The next Thursday, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have Biggie, Smalley, and Curly 2. It is a trio from Austin comprised of Kim Ritchie, Betty Sue, and Bonnie Whitman. Tickets are $20, starts at 8 o'clock next Thursday, again at George's in Fayetteville. And then Butterfield Stage in Rogers next Thursday is going to have a local showcase night featuring the bands Modeling, Handshake Saints, The Misdemeanors, and Drew Rogers. Wow. Like the day you were born. You won't take time to cry. That gets underway at 6 o'clock next Thursday. Again, that's at Butterfield Stage in Rogers. All right. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. To me, a leader is someone who influences others. That can be in any capacity. And I never associate leadership with title. To me, a leader is someone who coaches, guides, inspires, listens to, and empowers others to work toward a shared or individual goal. What a leader is to me is a learner. I think a leader should always be in a state of trying to learn more. A leader can be a CEO of a company, a student in an MBA program, or a stay-at-home mom. Anyone can be a leader, but I've decided to focus on Latinas in leadership in Northwest Arkansas for this podcast. Throughout this five-part series, you'll hear personal stories from Latinas impacting and leading their community. As Latinas, we may all come from the same community, but our stories and the way to leadership are vastly different. My name is Wendy Echeverria, and this is Inspirando el Futuro, stories about Latina leaders in Northwest Arkansas, coming out on KUAF or where you listen to podcasts. 
And we're going to hear more from Wendy as the summer continues. In fact, Mm -hmm. she is going to be in the studio tonight with some other interviews that we'll hear later this summer. Thanks for being with us this Thursday. I'm happy that we're back with you after a two-day holiday week hiatus. I think everyone on the Ozarks at Large staff could use that two-day break. It was a much appreciated uh, respite from the day-to-day grind. But let's take a few minutes right now to get you up to date on some recent changes in our region and in the state. The Arkansas Supreme Court is once again fully staffed. Monday, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders appointed Cody Highland to the state's highest court to fill the vacancy left by the death of former Justice Robin Wynn. The new justice comes to the court after most recently being the chair of the Arkansas Republican Party, a job he had had since December. Previously, he had been a U.S. attorney and a state prosecuting attorney. His term will last until January 1, 2025, when he'll be replaced by a new justice elected by voters in May 2024. Justice Highland will be ineligible to run for the seat since he has been appointed to fill the vacant position on the bench. The second Format Fest will be in the same city as last year's inaugural festival, but at a new location. Format will now be hosted at the Momentary. I'm sure that's going to help with logistics and parking and other things. I mean, from it's right year. there, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they have a new huge parking deck at the Momentary, that's too. That's right. Uh, organizers say they're excited to bring the festival closer to downtown Bentonville, and this year's three-day festival begins September 22nd. This year's three-day festival begins September 22nd and includes Alanis Morissette, Leon Bridges, and Modest Mouse. There was a change in the restaurant landscape in Fayetteville last week when Powerhouse Seafood closed for good at the end of last month. That's after more than 30 years of operation. Talk Business and Politics reports you can take a piece of the restaurant's history home during auction later this month. According to a list provided by the auction company, items to be sold include ready kilowatt merchandise, menus signed by celebrities who dined there during the past 31 years, and a Taylor brand 340 frozen drink machine that I'm guessing was used to make the restaurant's signature kilowatt drink. There will also be one last party on the patio, though food will not be available because all the kitchen staff will be gone at that point. You can learn much more about this at talkbusiness.net. I suppose if you get that frozen drink machine and some ready kilowatt merchandise, you can have your own party on the patio. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, make sure you share. <laughs> <laughs> Drivers in downtown Bentonville might need to change some routes next week. The city will close Southwest A Street between Southwest 7th and Southwest 10th, as well as Southwest 8th Street between Southwest B and South Main beginning early Monday morning. Closed sections are scheduled to reopen by the evening hours of Wednesday, August 9th for road construction. Detour signs will be in place, and weather or unforeseen circumstances could postpone the closure. Tyson Food Team members in Arkansas and beyond are going to have access to select online degree programs and workforce training from the University of Arkansas through a new partnership between the U of A and Guild, a public benefit corporation designed to help companies provide educational and career opportunities for employees. In 2022, through a partnership with Guild, Tyson began offering its employees a tuition-free path to attain master's, undergraduate, and associate degrees, as well as career certificates and literacy and technology fundamentals. That was not just from the university. That was through 35 universities across the country. And previously this year, the U of A established a partnership with Guild that allows Walmart associates in Arkansas and across the country to use Walmart benefits through Live Better You, its educational benefits program run in partnership with Guild, to pay for U of A learning opportunities. And the Cherokee National History Museum in Tahlequah regularly changes exhibits, and that means Saturday is the last day to experience We Are Cherokee, Cherokee Freedmen, and the Right to Citizenship exhibit at the Cherokee National History Museum in Tahlequah. The exhibit explores the history of Cherokee freedmen through a historical look at chattel slavery's beginnings in the Cherokee Nation through slave emancipation and the legal fight freedmen descendants endured to win recognition as Cherokee Nation citizens. The exhibit includes some of the images and stories contributed by families in the Cherokee Nation's call for stories. It also features original artwork inspired by the freedmen experience. Admission to the museum is free and is open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. A closing program to honor the exhibit takes place Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. And for more information, you can go to visitcherokeenation.com. Greetings, everybody. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. On this week's show, we will present songs and stories from a trio of Grammy Award-winning, world-class songwriters recorded live at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. And guest host Aubrey Atwater explores regional variations of a traditional folk song. All that this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. Ozark Highlands Radio airs every Saturday evening at 5, right after the KUAF Vinyl Hour.
And tomorrow on a Friday, Ozarks at Large, music created in and for a digital world. In particular, you know, when you try to make music over the internet, the, the factor is the time delay. That's that's the main factor is that what, what's called latency. And so that lag is... Um, is um, is with with you know has been something that musicians have always dealt with, but not quite in this way. The time lag of the internet is unpredictable and unstable. So it's not you you don't know how long or, or um, it's it is at any given moment, and then it may change at any given moment, just depending on the traffic on the internet. Lustag talks about his composition Latency Cannons, and why he enjoyed celebrating what some people might think are limitations of recording with other musicians via Zoom. His work is part of the new Symphony of Northwest Arkansas album, and our conversation is part of tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF, and with you when you want with the Ozarks at Large podcast. Professor and Chair of the Music Department at the University of Arkansas, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Pinimeter. We open Sound Pinimeter today with Violino Azteco, a piece by Mexican composer Jimena Contreras. Jimena Contreras began her musical studies at the age of eight with private piano and music theory lessons. In 2003, she joined the Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico School of Music as a composition student. Jimena has participated in several film score writing workshops under the direction of notable composers and film directors, and her compositions have been premiered at different national and international music festivals, as well as broadcast on the radio several times. This composition refers to a traditional Mexican musical style, the son huasteco. This traditional style from the 19th century is influenced by Spanish, indigenous Mexican, African, and other musics that evolved from the arrival of the Spanish in 1519 and during the colonial period of Mexico from 1521 to 1810. The is particularly noteworthy for its flamboyant and virtuoso violin parts, which composer Jimena Contreras highlights in this piece.
That was an excerpt from Violino Azteco, an energetic piece written by Mexican composer and producer Jimena Contreras, a very strong voice today in the realm of composition and production of music for film, television and video games, and award-winning at various film festivals in Mexico and around the world. Nubia Jaime Don Juan is also a Mexican composer and also a cellist born in Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. Nubia began her musical studies at the age of six and continued her professional studies at the University of Sonora. As a composer and arranger, Nubia Jaime Don Juan has collaborated with many great orchestras and chamber ensembles. Her music has been performed by renowned soloists and ensembles in and outside of Mexico. Jaime Don Juan was the first woman to receive first prize in the Arturo Marquez Composition Contest. She is part of the Montoneras Collective, a group that brings together the work of composers, performers, and researchers to make visible the work of women in the music from Mexico. I found Elegía por unos ojos verdes while doing some research for an upcoming recital. This flute and piano piece was written to the memory of Senior Jaime Magallón. The notes that accompany the program read, quote, Such beautiful eyes have stopped looking at me. To perfect circles of an inexplicable hue, full of light and goodness, they have gone out forever. In the memory of those of us who are still here, that divine green will remain. O green so bluish, O green so in love. I have said goodbye to them. Rest peacefully, flower of my life. I let you fly. End quote. Let us listen to Valerie Cabrera, flute, and Hector Acosta piano from a video recording in Hermosillo, Sonora, March or 2021, performing Elegía por unos ojos verdes by Mexican composer Nubia Jaime Don Juan.
From Mexico with love, I presented you today with two Mexican composers, Jimena Contreras and Nubia Jaime Don Juan. This is Leo Uribe, professor and chair of the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter, a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis of KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF's Listening Lab is one of the latest additions to the Carver Center for Public Radio. Just a couple of months ago, Emerson Alexander became the lab's coordinator. He's already opened up the lab to mothers, fathers, friends, advocates, and anybody who's interested in having a conversation. The Listening Lab is intended to be a space for honest and intimate conversations with neighbors and with ourselves. It's made possible by Walmart Foundation's Creating Community in Northwest Arkansas Through Bridging and Belonging Initiatives Grant. Last week, the mobile version of the Listening Lab traveled south to Little Rock for the Starshine Summit presented by the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation. Lee Wood, our general manager, traveled with Emerson and the lab to record some conversations, including this one with Sharice West Scantleberry, the president and CEO of the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, talking about the summit and its emphasis on the concept of narrative. So uh, we're all starshines in the sense that we all have stories and narratives. Stories we tell ourselves, uh, stories we tell about each uh, others, and narratives that actually, for better or worse, <laughs> rule, rule. <laughs> help shape our reality. Not only help shape, sometimes they are our reality, right? right. I mean, that's what I mean by rule. Um, sometimes you can't get past a narrative you've either learned or developed. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about change, mm -hmm. narrative change. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what we'll hear today as far as narrative change is concerned? Sure. So at Starshine, we're bringing together, uh, we just learned about 300 folk, both uh, virtually and in person, who are all interested in how do we use narrative to influence policy and advocacy. Because narrative is kind of what got Arkansas where it is. It is a narrative that we sell ourselves as a low-wage state when we're out recruiting businesses to come to Arkansas. It is uh, the narrative of the Delta being poor black folk and the narrative of Fayetteville being rich in resources. Uh, you would think that no one poor lives in Fayetteville or Springdale or those areas, right? Mm -hmm. Because of a narrative right. that has been created. The narrative that... Um, you know, poor people are a drain on Arkansas, the narrative that immigrants are a drain. And none of that is really true. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we can't get past what is ingrained and uh, told to ourselves and by others just constantly. Yes. So we're bringing folk together to, um, and I'm excited that we have, you know, 300 folk who actually want to learn how do we effectively use the stories and the narratives of our work to make change in Arkansas? Wonderful. And I was hearing a little bit, we're sitting outside of the, the um, main ballroom where the speak, speakers are uh, speaking and interacting with the audience. And I did hear sort of a roll call. So who, who's a filmmaker? Mm -hmm. You know, who's a writer? Who's a poet? So there's storytellers of all kinds here oh, today. Your grandmama storyteller. You <laughs> yeah. know, my grandfather was one of the best storytellers ever, mm -hmm. um, who I have met, a, a griot of sorts, right? Um, tell great stories. Uh, so we all, all the time we're telling a story, constantly. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, yeah, so you don't have to be a blogger or a professional writer or a poet uh, to tell stories. I mean, hey, uh, most of us have teenagers who go on YouTube or yeah. absolutely <laughs> telling stories all the time <laughs> with no real formal training. But yeah, but those stories just shape who we are. And those stories can be very limiting, limiting and crippling. Right. So there's a little bit of it. We're, we're also kind of practicing our imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things about the listening lab that we like to think about is um, f- first telling stories that you don't normally hear. Yes. So Fayetteville is a great example about the narrative of its top 10 places to live in uh-huh, the country. Uh-huh. It also has the highest food insecurity in the state. Yeah. Those, that's not it's a part of that story. You can, both can be true at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm excited and very proud to be here. Thank you so much. So we can use our imaginations to tell stories about our lives and and sort of imagine a a new story. Absolutely. And that imagination, if we can, we can all imagine something beautiful, different and new. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes narrative becomes that roadblock to making that happen. Right. Because folk are just stuck Mm -hmm. in a place and you have to just tell stories over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, stories have gotten us to the policies we currently live with. So narrative and stories can get us to a different place. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having us here. We're very, very happy it's to be pleasure. here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Sharice West Scandalberry is the president and CEO of the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation. She spoke with Lee Wood when our mobile listening lab was in Little Rock last week. If you'd like to learn more about the Listening Lab, you can go to listeninglabkuaf.com, and you can come by the Carver Center for Public Radio sometime and check out the permanent home for the lab when you get a chance. Writer Isabel Wilkerson says African Americans who went north during the Great Migration rarely spoke about what they left behind. When they left, it was almost as if they had a new birth date. They didn't tell their own children about what they had endured. Uh, They didn't want to burden their children with what they had suffered. Stories and ideas about migration. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. The TED Radio Hour begins at 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon on 91.3 KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith Rogers, and Ben-Hur. I didn't realize they made a movie about a city (laughs) in our area. Ben-Hur, the last community in Arkansas to receive electricity. There we go. Yeah. Contributors today included Jack Travis, Leah Uribe, and Lee Wood. Anna Pope, Jacqueline Froelich, and the news team at KUAR also made today's show possible. Our underwriting director is KUAF's Ryan Versi. You can also find out more about the person responsible for playing and composing our theme. His name is Daryl Sean. You can find out about his new CD that's called Still Here, Anywhere You Look for Music Online. Timothy produced today's show and today's edition of Sound Perimeter in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. And thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 with a new brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. I'll be I'm, here Sunday morning with Weekend Ozarks as well. That's right. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Kyle Kellams. Have a good rest of your Thursday. Bristol Bridges Museum of American Art invites guests to discover Diego Rivera's America before it closes July 31st. This is the first major exhibition focused solely on the Mexican artist in over 20 years and features popular works such as Nude with Calla Lilies, and The Flower Carrier, plus digital projections of his murals, including Pan American Unity and three major paintings by Frida Kahlo. Tickets at crystalbridges.org.